0: Welcome back to The Human Exception. Sorry that we missed last week. It was Nathan's birthday, so we took the time to just chill out and binge play a bunch of Dragon Age. Sorry, not sorry. Um, this week, we are back with some more wacky animals, as Hallie tells us about a horny ground parrot known as the Karkapo, and Nathan gets prehistoric with the Megalodon. Get ready for conversations of animal reproduction, shark cannibalism, topped with foul language.
1: burps
2: burps bur- we're going to talk about burps my favorite burp uh one that is incredibly incredibly rare uh so there is no um I, I have not found one like authoritative pronunciation for this creature so i may slip between them um but and you both know what this thing looks like, because I tipped my hand a little bit. But for everyone else listening, you can go and look up a picture of this creature called a Karkapo. Um, it kind of looks like something from a child's drawing. You might, it want, to is, try, uh, you might want to spell that out. <laughs> yep, it's K-A-K-A-P-O. I have been told it has an R in there that we pronounce, but is not in the spelling. I have been told, and that's from someone who who has tagged along with researchers uh who I spoke to many years ago um there's there's plenty of different ways to smell that, and it'll definitely be in the show notes, but it's a it's a fun fun creature, and they are so bizarre <laughs> they're so weird um and I actually learned about these when I was a children's librarian. And the kids wanted to know about unique creatures. And I stumbled actually across a, a great book about these things. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> and since then I've been obsessed. Um, so it, it's a flightless 10 pound, approximately, parrot. Its feathers are bright lime green and they're tipped with white and black. And it has this kind of odd feathery, almost furry face and an isosceles shaped beak that protrudes from its little little strangely round little face uh, its eyes are not the you know the beady bright eyes of a songbird it doesn't have owl eyes its eyes are near black and it's also critically endangered it loves people and it was made famous by trying to mate with a zoologist's head as Stephen Fry narrated with undisguised hilarity <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but this bird has been through a lot. So it's completely unique. It's only found on a few islands off the coast of New Zealand. And its story has been centuries in the making. So at one point, the Karkapo was proliferous across New Zealand. And now there are only just over 200 of these birds remaining in the wild. There are no birds, there are no none of these birds in captivity. Um, And each hatching of a Karkopo chick is actually celebrated by researchers and scientists and the local New Zealand news anchors. And it's considered to be a moment every time there's a new chick. So I know they're so fluffy and stupid looking. (laughs) These are. I love these creatures so much, but they are really odd. So here's a couple pictures. Uh, I'm gonna give you how goofy this thing moves because again, it is flightless, and it's completely ground-ridden, and so they do this unique little hop. Uh, and if you if you look for karkpo gifts, you can find this easily enough. But it's um, <laughs> the most clumsy fucking thing I've ever seen. It looks
1: so like a kiwi for- with kiwi with wings. <laughs> yep
2: (laughs) oh god they're they're just the goofiest things i love them to death and they really are wholly unique um so new zealand was largely left alone by explorers and uh traders whalers etc until the late 18th century and this was when noted english explorer captain james cook traveled through the area, and he wrote detailed accounts of New Zealand, its people, and its animals. So then pretty soon, he was followed up by those whalers and, of course, missionaries and traders. And in 1840, Britain formally annexed the islands and established New Zealand's first permanent European settlement at Wellington. And that year, the native mayor signed the Treaty of Waitangi which uh, recognized British sovereignty in exchange for guaranteed possession of their land. You can guess how well that worked out for the native people of New Mm. Zealand. Yeah. Didn't take long. Uh, There was armed territorial conflict between the Maori and white settlers. And this continued until 1870 until pretty soon there were few Maori left to resist the European encroachment. Um, New Zealand was originally part of the Australian colony of New South Wales, It became a separate colony in 1841 and was made self-governing in 1852. It attained attained dominion status in 1907 and full independence in 1931 and then ratified uh, in 1947. So the Maori people, who are native to the islands, um, treated the Karkapo as sacred. They were actually very important to the Maori people and still are. Uh, They were eaten, used for clothing and wealth, and made pets, and they were once so common that European colonists complained that the screeching mating calls of the Karkopo kept them up at night. They'd shake a tree and six Karkopo would fall out like apples, (laughs) is a quote from Andrew Digby, (laughs) who's a science advisor on the current recovery team. So here is...
0: When they fall out, do they try and glide down or they just plop?
2: They just kind of plop. They don't have a (laughs) bit of grace in their bodies. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's amazing. Here is a traditional Maori cloak made out of Karkapo feathers. Whoa. Um, And that was a wealth and symbol status in their culture. And you can see, like, how varied the feathers really are, which is really cool. So. um, Oh, that's super cool. It's really cool, yeah. All of that's- There are- The Karkapo fetus? Yeah, that's from several Karkapo pelts, yeah. Cause granted, they're big for a parrot, but (laughs) to make a a cloak that would be fit for a human-sized human-sized human. human. So as uh, people started to arrive with their ships and brought in trade goods and guns and all kinds of things common on ships were also cats uh, to serve as ratters so that people didn't get sick on the ships and got the rats out of the larders and the storage areas. And cats love it when birds can't fly away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's like prime. That, that's prey right there. That's dinner. So the Karkapo became a favorite prey of these cats who were once they were off the ship were just turned loose. And also stoats were oddly common pets at the time that were brought on a ships. Stoat. A stoat kind of looks like a weasel. They're, uh, it's a small mammal. Yeah, it's bigger than a weasel. So they grow up like a foot long. Uh, there are wild stoats, but they were also used as pets. They were really in vogue at the time when some of these ships were coming it's into New Zealand. Cute. Yeah, they're cute, but they also love it when birds can't fly away. <laughs> So yeah, they became the, the favored prey of cats, stoats, and then rats that survived on the ships would feed on the Karkopo eggs and the defenseless chicks because they are ground nesters. So this just, it, it, it started to decimate Karkopo populations, um, but we can't blame, you know, fully the cats and stoats and rats for all of this. So I don't mean to bird shame. Uh, but the caracapoe have some of their own fault as well here, so we need to talk about lifespans and mating habits. Everyone's favorite topic. <laughs> uh, they are exceptionally long lived for birds. They easily can reach life expectancy of roughly ninety years. But the How longest
0: related or are they to like parrots? Like they are. Shit?
2: They are a parrot technically. Okay. They're just, they're very, they're so unique in that, in that bird family um, because of everything, because of everything, because of everything about them. They are just, they are the standout. They're the little branch off the parrot family that is like, and then this weird ass bird. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the average life expectancy is 90, but the longest lived of them have been recorded around 120 to 125. Wow. Uh-huh. Yeah. And this is because they're exceptionally slow to age and then to breed. Uh, They don't begin breeding until around age four or five. They only, remember I said I'm not trying to bird shame, but I'm bird shaming. Um, They breed in the summer and the autumn, but only in the years of good fruit abundance. Because there are trees in New Zealand called Rimu trees, R-I-M-U. And these grow on the islands in southern New Zealand. And so the carcopo will only breed when the Rimu trees fruit, which is once every two to four years, approximately.
1: (laughs) So they're picky. So let's
2: say, so they're super picky. They have to be wooed by only certain kinds of fruit. We're going to get into the wooing here in a minute because it's fascinating. Um, They, (laughs) let's say you're a, you're a ready to go stud male carcopo, You turn five and you're like, yeah, let's make some babies. And then the Rimu fruit aren't in season, and it takes another four years, so you're almost ten before you get a <laughs> chance to go find a, a, a lady. It's, man...
0: <laughs> hopefully you find one.
2: And hopefully you find one, because that ain't easy. <laughs> we'll talk about a very special one here in a little bit, too, who doesn't want to mate with... Uh, other karkpow! <laughs> <laughs> These stupid birds so much. Um, so they and they scientists have traced some of the breeding patterns in carkbow who used to live in northern parts of New Zealand, but due to uh, predators, due to climate change. And due to the fact that these birds are nearly extinct, they have had to move the birds to just three islands in the southern part of New Zealand. One in particular, where there are no predators. It's basically a walled <laughs> off research, like tiny little island, where they just let the kakapo do their thing. It's the whole thing. You guys um, can't
0: be trusted to just be alone
1: out
2: there. Yes, okay, yeah, when you're agree. when you're
1: that stupid and you're that <laughs> picky about snacks you probably have to have your own space.
2: You have to have your own special <laughs> like... walled-off island. I love these birds so much. Um, so they're the only parrots in the world that are known as lek breeders. Okay. Uh, and th- Yes. So this is a very odd thing that happens in the animal kingdom. Um, But what lek breeding does is that, so what the, the male carcapo will do, and they call from this track and bowl system is what it's called. And they use that to attract females to them. The male carcapo are the laziest fucking birds ever. <laughs> so in the breeding years, the adult male karkapo, uh, will start to maybe think about getting down and dirty in about December, uh, the male will find a prominent ridge or a rock or a hilltop with low growing vegetation, all the better to call from. And then what he does is he forms this track and bowl system. He makes a network of tracks with his low barbed feet and it radiates out from this bowl like impression in the dirt that he kind of like digs in like a chinchilla. Um, And then the (laughs) bowl is this clear area of ground. He trims all the grasses around it, then creates at least two to three connecting additional bowls, but sometimes will build up to 10 more. It's a whole thing. And then he'll settle down in his main bowl and he inflates this thoracic air sac that they have. And they emit this deep, low frequency boom every one to two seconds that can be heard from three to four hundred Miles away on flat Jesus.
1: Ground. What the shit?
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm good. Let me give you this, this um this guy. I think Kayla's heard it. Now, for the two of you listening to this, it is deeply resonant. So watch your headphones that you have on. Um, because it might I could see where it might bother some folks. So there's the m p three of the boom that happens what? A bird makes this noise what uh for anyone that wants to hear it, you can look up uh uh karkapo booming and you'll find the m p three the New Zealand government website has a Nat geo has a it's this really bizarre... It almost sounds like uh, sound system feedback. Or microphone feedback. It's super weird. Yeah, it's really weird. So they make this boom every one to two seconds. And after 20 or 30 booms, the male will make this high-pitched ching sound. And so it helps any female who was interested by the boom to pinpoint his position get me back at <laughs> yeah basically yeah they're like all right so you want you want that booty call here's how you find me <laughs> sex radar. so there's the ching this is sex radar this totally is exactly different is. sound same bird how <laughs> <that> great yep <laughs> it's so good it's almost sounds like a songbird
1: this is so good
2: So he'll do this to attract the females. um, And his serenade can last for eight hours without break. Wow, that's a long day. Yeah, it's a long day. Stamina, impressive. Uh, So if he does attract a female to him and another male wants to get in on his territory, they have their own territory call as well, which is Just the weirdest, like, it almost sounds like a boom, and then it kind of changes. So, there's that. Um, It's at a slightly lower, not lower pitch, but like lower volume. And it's basically that warning of, nah, I got a chick up in here. It's like a sock on the doorknob. Like, no, man, can't be doing this. (laughs) They're also highly receptive to uh each other's calls and researchers have actually done uh experiments where they record another male car boom and ching to see how a different male reacts to them and they immediately flee the area (laughs) so it works really well (laughs) competition i'm out yep yep basically like oh you bit you busy bye and they'll leave (laughs) So they're very receptive to that, even if they can't see the other bird because there's no other bird that's played through uh, like an amplifier. Um, So I said they're lazy. The males really are. They don't have any part in incubation or chickering. They get their busy on and then they leave. Um, The female will build nests on or in ground in caves, in dense vegetation. And she typically lays one to four eggs She'll build her own bowl, and then fill it with soil and rotten wood and any kind of grasses that she can find. And she'll repeatedly turn it over to keep it fresh, um, because carcapo nests apparently smell like high heaven. They apparently smell so bad, <laughs> which is odd because carcapo huh. themselves. Uh, if you were to put your face in their feathers, they smell like honey. What? Yes. Yep. So random. It's
0: like how sometimes you smell your cat's head. They smell sweet. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. 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 They apparently also, if they're friendly with humans, they also like being smelled. It's a whole thing. Aw. These birds are weird. Um, smell me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so after studying generations of carcapo mating uh, scientists still haven't really figured out what makes a male carcapo attractive there are clear favorites in every little group and they often can just breed as much as they want and then there are some that are like wallflowers and they stay on the outside we'll talk about sirocco here in a little bit (laughs) our most famous wallflower (laughs) cargo oh gosh i love these little guys um so After the female Carcapo lays her eggs, they're slightly smaller than chicken eggs. And the eggs hatch after about 30 days. So they hatch super quickly. Wow, like
0: four years between breeding.
2: (laughs) Yeah, but then it's just like, bam, kids. Yeah. Uh, And since she is a solo parent, she has to leave her nest unattended every night to find food. And this means that they can be left alone for hours and hours also making them easy prey so researchers watch every nest every egg (laughs) and every chick and then once the chicks are old enough after about when they fledge which is around 10 weeks old they will tag them so that they can always gps locate them
0: know where they are oh my god
2: um yeah, they have to, because there's so few of these guys left. They absolutely have to. How many eggs do they lay in a boat? One to four. One to four? Okay. One to four, and typically only half of them survive. Yeah. Yeah. And even then, because she's a solo parent, because she keeps feeding them for up to six months, and she leaves them alone all the time, um, it, it. yeah, they have to keep track of every single one of these chicks. Because if it wasn't for everyone who studies and watches over the carcopo, they would have definitely become extinct a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh they just they're at their own fault in a lot of ways evolution was not kind to these creatures. Um so there's something called the Carcopo Recovery Program. It's been operating since 1995. And they've been monitoring the population level since then. So they also provide the birds with supplemental feed. They ensure that the islands where the Karkapo remain are free of invasive predators. And at times, they even hand-race chicks that are underweight or sick.
0: So, in Someone's job is literally to take care of these birds and make sure they live.
2: <laughs> I cannot tell you how delighted I was... There is a, um, this is when I stumbled across these animals. There is a children's book writer named Cy Montgomery. Um, She's won several awards for her different books. Um, But her kids' books, she always spends time with researchers who are looking at rare animals. And she spent time in New Zealand with the Karkapo researchers. Incredible photographs and documentation. Of what these people do. And I had the chance to speak with her several years ago. And she said, these people, they like, they, it's like researchers in the Antarctic. They're in such odd conditions <laughs> and working within such wild constraints. And they mourn every loss of these chicks like it's a like it's a dearly beloved family animal.
0: Oh, that's, that's I, intense.
2: I know it's intense um but she said they're the most dedicated people you've ever met that's awesome Um,
0: like what are the qualifications to become one of these people
2: uh i have no idea (laughs) (laughs) you'll find out um
0: you need to sign up and live your life here stuck on this
2: island forever to watch these birds you need to basically in the rain in the constant rain yeah um, so in 95, there were only 51 surviving Karkapo. Wow. Yeah. Now there are 210. Woohoo. Yeah, I know. Quadrupled. Jeez. Quadrupled population. And most of them are still like the, out of those 51 that were originally counted, there's still several of them that are surviving because these things are so long lived. Um, do you know how late they're um how long they're fertile for i do not i did not find that anywhere huh, okay i know so that's a good question that's something for me to definitely look into um so let's talk about this guy let's talk about this guy let's talk about the most famous karkapo his name is sirocco mm-hmm. um he is... Bigger than her head. Yep. Ten pounds, man. Like...
1: <laughs> oh my god. He's fat.
2: <laughs> They're so fat. I love them. Um, he is the most famous carcapo. His name is Sirocco. And as of last year, he was, they think, roughly 25 years old. So he's a he's a baby yet. He got a whole life ahead of oh, him. Oh, wow. Um, the population numbers have grown threefold just in Sirocco's time. And a lot of that is actually thanks in part to his role as Karkapo ambassador. Uh, <laughs> in 2017, there was a 24% increase in their population numbers. And that had been the best breeding season on record until last year, when there were a record 46 chicks hatched and 43 of them survived. Wow. Yep. And the only reason three of them were lost was when their nest was swept away in a flash flood. I know. Yeah, there's not much you can do there. Not much you can do there. So Sirocco has definitely helped to raise awareness of these birds and their plight. And thanks to him and his handlers and the researchers, they have been named the official bird of New Zealand. And he is definitely the ambassador. He's traveled the world. He's shown up on different talk shows, radio shows, internet, all kinds of fun things. Uh, And he's definitely the oddest out of his entire species. He was hand raised by rangers due to respiratory issues. So he actually imprinted on them at a really early age. And he's completely, at least for now, until he changes his mind, if he ever changes his mind. He's sworn off mating with his own kind. Oh, no. So, the reason most people would probably recognize this bird is due to a very famous video from a few years ago when Stephen Fry and a zoologist who was studying the Karkopo, Uh, that's Sirocco mating with a zoologist's head, um, <laughs> leading Stephen Fry to say, you're being shagged by a rare parrot. To <laughs> be honored. Yeah, yeah. It, well, and the thing is, like, uh, so they've. This might be my favorite part of the entire story with these birds. Um, because Sirocco uh, will build bulls and he'll boom to try to attract humans, because that's what he wants, um, he has been known to get into a little bit of trouble. At first, when they found Sirocco and the rangers who raised him said, "Yeah, he's kind of an odd bird." Uh, He had settled. He'd built a bowl near an outhouse the rangers used, and would chase people en route to go to the bathroom in order to headmate. Oh my
0: god! (laughs) Amazing.
2: It it gets better. It gets so much better. Hold on. It's amazing (laughs) because he headmates with people to show affection. He's tried to mate with the heads of humans so often that scientists once built an ejaculation helmet (laughs) (laughs) for volunteers to wear that I have a picture of.
0: Oh, my God. (laughs) Here you go.
1: (laughs) Okay.
2: Wow. It's a bike helmet. Uh, that features an array of dimples to collect semen it's basically a hat of condoms
0: oh my god
2: <laughs> it never it never worked i love
1: worked. it <laughs> fucking I know. it never worked it never worked oh. this is
2: why uh Karkopo are really intense during their intercourse and they the males will dig their claws into the female and they typically mate for close to an hour
0: holy shit Like, I got things to do, man.
2: (laughs) Like, come on, we gotta go. So when he hops up on someone's head, and you can... So here's the video of him on uh, the zoologist's head. And you'll see him. It's not very long. It's like two minutes. And you'll see him wince because Sorocco is digging his claws into this guy's neck. And so getting volunteers to wear the helmet just never worked. (laughs) (laughs) because <laughs> they're like i got to i got things to do like <laughs> so let me know when you've watched that this is my favorite thing oh my god that bird is not afraid of anyone
0: i like him like sneaking up mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: like, <gonna> get you. <laughs> <laughs> this is so good Yep.
1: Excuse me, while I <laughs> love your hair.
2: Hi, I love you. Let's have babies. Babies, 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 babies with your head. Yep. <laughs> it's just like I'm beating him with his wings. <laughs> with the wings, yeah. The dude had bruises, and he looks so happy. Yep. That face is the funniest thing. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh. He can go immediately, tries to get back up there.
2: Yep. Get off me. Get off me. Oh my god.
0: Oh my god, just cuts all over his face.
2: Yeah, he. uh, Look at the cuts. Yeah. Yep.
0: (laughs) (laughs) When when
2: you have the chick, I want you to call it (laughs) Stephen. Well, that's a thing. Yeah, yeah, yep. So, I mean, the ejaculation helmet yeah. made sense. At the time, look how intense he yeah. was about all of that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they've tried other things. Yeah, with, make him just like a head
0: model or something.
2: Well, they tried a decoy female car capo. Uh It was a motorized fake bird, basically. Didn't work. He was not impressed. Uh, so the helmet and Chloe, the female decoy, and now resides in Wellington's Te Papa Museum. You can go see them. So if you're ever in Wellington, New Zealand, there you go. Um he has Sirocco's gotten uh pretty uh pretty popular. He even has his own emojis. So you can download them. It's called the the Cult of the Party Parrot.
0: Amazing. <laughs>
2: They did this for a fundraiser several years ago. Which is great. Soraka has his own insurance policy for almost $80,000 American. um, And a a rival at that figure takes into consideration food, care, housing, and travel on an annual basis. (laughs) Uh, In 2013, there was an award-winning documentary film created about him called Sirocco, How a Dud Became a Stud. And it is by Indian filmmaker Ashwika Kapoor, and you can watch it on YouTube. And if you want to teach anybody, really, about outside of what you're hearing right now, Outside of the podcast, you can go to Google Earth. It'll be linked in the show notes. There's a really they have a really great interactive overview of the car and where they live. And this is a great feature for kids who might be interested in figuring out what in the world that bird is. Without maybe showing them the <laughs> video of the guy being shacked by a rare parrot.
0: <laughs> what do you mean it's a great opportunity to talk about birds and the bees or the birds <laughs> in the head?
2: True. Birds in the head. Yep. I <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> Freaking bird. So weird. Um, and yeah, it's just good to remember that these birds, they're the world's heaviest parrot. They stand about 24 inches tall, so about two feet, and they weigh between four and 10 pounds typically. But in the seasons where the rimu fruit aren't blooming, they put on m- large fat stores. And that is when you see them extra chubby. Amazing. Yes. So they are chubby, green feathered, flightless, 10 pound parrots that smell like honey. And there's only 200 of them in the world. We need more. We need more. They're working on it. They're working on it. Yep. Well, like I said. It's not very fast. <laughs> Except this parrot. <laughs> ev- ev- evolution like has not every four years. to do the Karkipo. <laughs> are they related to the dodo? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> it's just the only like other extinct bird that I can think of. That's kind of a ground that's bird. So. <laughs> kind of ground out. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, but dodos aren't parrots, right? Uh, yeah. I didn't think so. Yeah. Then probably not. Um, they're, they're just such a strange little, it's like, it's one of those things where you get that insight into, I kind of put tree kangaroos in the same thing, right? Um, because tree kangaroos are, are really only seen in Papua New Guinea in the cloud forests there. And I remember reading about them and they can jump from like 80 feet up in the air straight down and be fine.
0: Wow. Yeah. So it's a whole
2: whole thing. And when you get these little peaks into these creatures that only live in one part of the world and they're so endangered, they're almost extinct you wonder that how lucky we are that we're able to help them and save them, but how many other creatures we've lost because we didn't have the awareness or the tools or the time. Yeah, so. true but that. Yeah. These birds are weird. I love them. I think everyone, you can adopt a Karkapo. You can actually like go and donate money. Um, to the karkapo uh, rescue and they will for i i forget how much it is but there are certain packages that you can donate and at some of the higher tiers they'll send you a little stuffed animal karkapo no i was like i want it
0: <laughs> you get like you know a link to their like live feed or something. their little
2: their little you get like photos and stuff yeah that's awesome yeah Because every single one of these birds is tracked religiously every day to make sure. Because Sirocco, uh, back in, I want to say, 2015, he disappeared. They couldn't find him. What? Yeah. He'd shed his tracker and disappeared for almost a year. Holy shit. They must have been terrified. They were terrified. There were news articles that came out about that. People were freaking the fuck out. And then he just showed back up one day and was like, hey, what's up? And everyone was, oh, thank God. (laughs)
0: <laughs> did like they ever find out where he went no
2: he's just he he probably guess wandered off maybe. into a part of the island that he'd never gone to before they'd never tracked him to before would be my guess because they just they just like you know and he's so odd for his species but I guess the story went that he, he one day they were looking for him and he just kind of like wandered right up to the researcher and was like hey what's up
0: I mean like, oh a God. bit, what's new with you?
2: Yeah, he came back. It was months. <laughs>
0: <laughs> little well, shit. Get back, like how far can they go? They don't fly.
2: <laughs> they don't fly, but man, they can waddle. <laughs> 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 so yeah, carcapo. There you go. Amazing. I love it. They're ridiculous. That's it's why insane. I love them so much.
1: They're ridiculous. We're gonna talk about extinct sharks. Hell yeah. Megalodons. Uh, So, uh, I don't know who likes to watch ridiculous movies. Um, I do, but obviously I haven't seen it. Uh, But the most recent, um, one of the most recent, couple of years anyway, uh, movies that came out, The Meg, uh, was about a giant, fucking shark that roamed the seas and basically swallowed ships whole. Um, yeah. It's a little bit of an exaggeration, but uh, <laughs> the uh, the Megalodon um, is an extinct species of shark. Uh, apparently that died off about two and a half uh, two point six million years ago, and researchers have been apparently, apparently. I don't. I'm saying apparently. We don't know if it's still alive. <clears throat> as far as we know, they went extinct two point six million years ago. Um, they've been finding fossils, uh, and obviously, like fossils of this thing, and it's fucking huge. Uh, it was, for its time, considered to be the largest predator uh, in the sea. Uh, at about sixty to seventy feet long, uh, at its longest or at its largest, uh, the females were the largest of the uh, of the species, and the males were maybe max like two thirds. The size of them was a giant, uh, obviously, like a giant skull of this thing. Uh, and let me see. I think I've got a a graph on this. No, I'm just going to show you one of the one of the skulls because this thing is fucking massive.
2: No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So we, um, sharks now, like from the sharks that we've, that we see nowadays, uh, generally have, I think like three rows of teeth. Mm -mm. Megalodon's had five.
0: (laughs) Great. All the better to eat you with.
1: (laughs) Ah! All the better to eat you with. Uh, the largest Megalodon tooth that has ever been found has, is... Uh, has measured seven inches. What the fuck? Yeah. Hot mom. That's in comparison to the great white shark. The largest they have ever found great white is just under three inches. Jesus,
2: Christ. it's over double. Oh my god.
1: Yeah. Ah! These things were big and fucking brutal. They. Uh, they're massive. They ate like, I think it was about a ton of food per day to keep their energy up and just to survive. Jesus. Uh, one thing that, that was really interesting is that so these sharks fed on large whales, so and that's that's how they kept their energy up. That's how they they fed and kept healthy every single day. So. One of the one of the things that they found interesting in uh, in the research of the of these megalodons is that uh, other species, like other larger, like whales and sharks, didn't they didn't start finding uh, larger fossils of these other species until after the extinction mark of the megalodon. Mm -hmm. So any species that were around when the megalodon was, they didn't start getting bigger uh, until after the megalodon was gone. Holy moly. Makes sense. Yeah. So as soon as this giant predator was no longer an issue... Well, I, there's there's room to grow, right?
0: The humans moved to Alaska yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: absolutely, yeah. One of the one of the things that a lot of people were uh, at, at first, it was theorized that these were closer, closely related to like the great white shark. Uh, but after after some research, uh, it looked like that. Um. They sort of split on evolution relatively early, um, and diverted away kind of earlier in uh, uh, in their life cycle, essentially. Um, so the essential thought was that great whites evolved from megalodons, uh, but in the re- in reality they sort of had a, a parallel life cycle, I guess. Um, not actually one evolving from the other.
0: I wonder if there's any um, species that are left that were, like, in the Megalodon's group.
1: Uh, there are, actually, as far as I know. Let me see. I have Oh no, sorry. There are not. Um so the species that they were part of um is can is called the Odo Otodontidae. Uh so like Big Tooth. Legit. Uh and it is it is an extinct family of sharks. Fair. Um yeah. Mega megatooth sharks. Mega sharks. Megatooth. One of the things that I thought was uh was kind of cool was that in a in a similar vein to the Great White Sharks, uh the Megalodons could regulate their own internal temperatures that would allow them to go hunt in colder colder regions easier. I'm jealous. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> I wish I could just be like, oh, okay. I want to be a little colder now, or I want to be warmer now. This is, would, this is fine. That
2: would change my entire life. like.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so in the, in this uh, instance, like, Fish in general are, are more of like cold blooded, uh, whereas the megalodon and like the great white are able to sort of regulate their temperatures based on where they're feeding and where they need to hunt. Um, they, um, <clears throat> and this also like kind of facilitated their, um, their ability to move between different, um, different areas of the ocean because they've been found in like tropical, temperate seas, um, like continental shelf uh, regions, you know where it's a little bit colder. Uh, everywhere, kind of except for Antarctica. Um, one of the cool things, and we were we this was something we were discussing before this. Uh, the uh the cannibal the cannibalization of uh of the parent. Here it goes. Um, yeah, those those mom noms as I uh, oh as God. I referred to it.
2: I was trying to delay um, that and <laughs> was not doing it justice, and I just had him read the chat, and he went, "What the fuck?"
1: <laughs> uh, so. I got clarification on it because this is actually a sort of a. Um, this is a trait that is not just in the megalodons, but is in uh, other types of sharks as well, and it's less mom noms and more sibling snacks. Um, <laughs> sharks, uh, female sharks have two uteruses. Um and some even have the ability to preserve sperm from the their male mate. So basically what happens is they're perpetually pregnant.
2: Oh cool,
0: that sounds like a horror show.
1: <laughs> right?
0: So they could just save a, they could just save a baby for later.
1: Jesus. Well, yeah, kind of ah! like what happens is <laughs> what happens is they the eggs hatch um, and then obviously they have a live birth, but it's they all hatch inside the uterus and then at that point, only the strong survive, so the they actually swim between the two uteruses and eat their siblings to survive until it's such time as they are birthed.
0: It's shark thunderdome. Yep. Right? Wow.
1: And then once all of the uh-huh. babies are gone, mom uses the preserved sperm to again be pregnant again.
0: Ooh. Like, how long can they hang on to this for?
1: uh not 100 percent sure but a long time
0: (laughs) Mm, i have many questions like what's the lifespan of a sperm
1: right human sperm is not that long but like obviously but like if you're keeping it in the
0: probate conditions right like yeah
1: yeah Yeah.
0: things that i never thought i would ask yeah lifespan lifespan of shark sperm
2: and there are no nelodons no to ask these questions of, so
1: nope uh along continuing along with the uh the children thing, they actually had nurseries like warm water nurseries they so when the whatever babies were were out and free and actually made it past the uh uh the process of eat or be eaten, uh they actually had like Small colonies where they would have nurseries of of these other like megalodon babies, uh, and that sort of gives that idea that they preferred sort of the more temperate areas, but they also sort of had a family kind of situation where they would raise kids and then eventually they would sort of scatter uh, but this is also where
0: it takes a village to raise a child
1: right, exactly uh but they would also but this is also where a lot of the a lot of scientists found uh like younger megalodons and mixed in among uh like the fossilization um other smaller, which led them to believe that they too also cannibalized themselves uh within before birth.
2: Oh, lordy. <laughs> Whoa.
1: Yeah. Yep.
2: Hi, hello. I would like a side of uh, mom today. Thanks. <laughs> today we have a lovely uh, river trout, side of shark, and then also an appetizer of uh, placenta, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> God.
1: Uh, uh, in, in our sort of sizing chart here, uh, taking a quick step back, um, an adult body could range from anywhere from 30 metric tons to 65 tons.
2: Wow! Get the fuck out.
1: Yeah. They were big fucking sharks.
2: Jesus. How many great whites is that?
1: <laughs> that is a good <laughs> question the, like
2: five hundred great whites equals one megaton
1: Well, like okay, so what? let's yeah, it's a lot That's
2: a lot. Uh... I don't do metric
1: <laughs> <laughs> um
2: holy shit. 60 metric tons is 132,277 pounds. Eh. Yeah, Get the fuck out. How much is a great white way? Okay, so at the highest, 2,400 pounds. Jesus! <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay, cool. I, uh... Y- you know what? At some point, the brain... Shuts down at trying to process how fucking large that is.
1: Yep. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is insane. Uh, and if you think about like how just how fucking big these things are, think about how much it would suck to get bit by one of these things.
2: You mean swallowed, um, right? I was going to say you don't get bit.
1: I mean, if you're a big whale,
2: oh wow,
1: you're going to get bit
2: fair okay fair
1: so there uh the estimated force behind a megalodon weight uh sorry bite was estimated at anywhere from twenty four thousand to forty thousand pounds uh which is six to ten times that of a great white shark and a, any modern crocodile or two to three times the estimated force of a T Rex. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Oh big big ol' biting capacity. I pass. Yeah. <laughs> oh, five rows of teeth, right? About two hundred and seventy five teeth. Um... Ah um... And they
2: probably grew back. I'm... I'm going to have nightmares.
1: (laughs) Don't have nightmares. They're dead. They're extinct. It's fine.
2: You say that. I've seen Jurassic Park. Just
1: don't don't go out in the (laughs) open.
2: (laughs) I don't anyways, because I don't like water.
1: (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) I am, uh, I am trying to figure out where I had intended on (laughs) going from here and I'm lost. But uh, yeah, they, they were big fuckers. Um yeah, I think uh I think that's sort of the the most that I've that's kind of that they've kind of got uh that I was able to find. Um I still found it interesting that they uh had such like a, a wide distribution um around the world, like they found fossils in areas, um, in in regions everywhere. So that includes North and South America, in Europe, Africa, uh, Puerto Rico, and Cuba, like the Canary Islands, Australia, New Zealand, Japan, uh, India. So, like anywhere there was food and it was, you know, comfortable for them, they showed up.
0: They got around. Yeah, I wonder if they had yep. migratory routes like if they just traveled fucking everywhere if they had just like their territories
1: uh i don't know like it might be that because they because they were known to have nurseries and um like they were um like they're they were known to have nurseries. They probably had territories where, you know, their groups would stay. Um, maybe one or two would break off and join another group because that's what you do. But yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it it, did, it does specifically mention that um, little is known about how individuals dispersed after they matured. Um. But it is thought that they have that they occupied an ec- ecological niche similar to that of the of the white shark. Um, but no, um, no particular ideas on that. Anyway, yeah, so. it's
0: hard to know a lot about an animal that doesn't really leave much behind in regards to remains.
1: Yeah, yeah, especially when like when your whole bone structure is just cartilage like it's not going to leave much unless it manages to get fossilized yeah so unless you
0: know, it gets pressed into something then yeah it's just going to disperse and get eaten
1: yeah
2: i'm i'm still stuck on the 275 teeth <laughs> <laughs> dear god almighty
1: right
0: brushing them would be the the worst <laughs> All right, well, then I guess is that it?
1: That's it. That's Magnet it. There's not a, there wasn't a whole heck of a lot.
0: All right, well, that is another episode. Thanks so much for listening.
2: Donkey Shag by a rare parrot.
0: <laughs> I was going to try to say something about how you does, but I just kept coming back to like the anus amulets and stuff. <laughs> the anus amulets. <laughs> hmm. Uh. Okay, I think we can stop
1: there. Yep.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus my god. <sighs> but it's so but it's so good. <laughs> it is. That's great. And you all took me out of my head for a little bit, so that's even better. Yay.
1: <laughs> Yay. <laughs> He's good.
2: He's good. Stupid what? birds. <laughs> god damn it. <laughs>
0: And that's it for this week. Next week, we're very happy to have an extra special guest all the way from the internet, Icarus. Icarus is the webmaster of demon-sushi.com and is the one that originally shared his story about Jen and the Final Fantasy Seven house that we talked about back in episode 12. As always, all resources, pictures, links will be provided on our website at thehumanexception.com. Follow us on Twitter or Facebook at the Human Exception to keep up to date with everything that's going on. And uh If you have any ideas, corrections, just want to say hi, feel free to reach out to us on our social media or at thehumanexception at gmail.com. Keep on keeping on and we'll talk to you next week.
1: What are you saying? Hey.
0: What are you recording, then, Craig?
2: Craig. I I have concerns about you, Craig. Craig, no. (laughs) (laughs) Craig is very confused. Bye, Craig.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to boot him.
2: Go away, Craig.
0: Well, maybe if we leave, he'll eventually get bored. (laughs)
2: Yeah, really. There's no one here anymore. Yeah, Jesus. Okay, I'm exporting. Well, this will be here.
1: interesting. Oh boy.
0: Um, what are we doing next? Are we doing which is next, or like mm-hmm. how we hear from Zach?
2: Hmm. Good question. Because I feel like that one here is from, a, a from much Zach, longer, or um, here, here
0: from Icarus. I call him Zach. The guy's got seven million names, so <laughs> everyone in the hey. community just calls yeah. him Zach.
2: So. Listen, as someone who has two names, I understand.